I want you to open your Bible again tonight to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and we're looking at verse 18. Our subject is deliverance. This was his first message after his baptism, temptation in the wilderness, returns in the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is the first thing he preached. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. That was the first thing he preached. We read on in the Bible in Acts 10.38 where it says how God anointed with that same Holy Spirit, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He was beginning to fulfill this. We read in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, where it says, for this cause Jesus came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now that was something that we needed because we were described as being captive, as being bound, as being brokenhearted, depressed, sad and sorrowful about life with no solutions. And he came to deliver us from all of those things. And he did. So that legally we're free. Now, not everybody knows that. Not all Christians are aware that they're free. Nobody's ever told them what that means. Nobody's ever described to the average church member anything at all about being brokenhearted or being bound or being a captive or anything of the such. It's not something that most church members can relate to. How can such a thing be? That's not me. Well, that was all of us. We were all bound all of our lives. And we needed to be set free. Deliverance means liberation. It means to be released from anything that binds you, controls you, or keeps you from God. Those are the things the devil does. That's his work. And deliverance from those things is what the Lord gives. The new birth is deliverance. Being born again. Being caught out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You're delivered out of one place into another place, a place where you were a servant and you were in bondage to a place where you're a servant, but you're free. Not only that, but Jesus said, as a Christian, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, which implies that though we are functioning human beings, we are healthy and we're living and doing things in the spiritual sense, we're not really all that free. We see the evidence of that in our lack of response to to worship and praise. We're a little bit hindered and bound by that, or a lot hindered and a lot bound. That our religious nature, our religious background prevents us from being free to worship God the way the Bible describes it. And we shall know the truth, and if you're willing to respond to the truth, You'll be delivered from all the things that hinder you and hold you down because there are things that hold us down. There are all kinds of ways the devil works in this world. And we know that his work, his main goal is to kill and to steal and destroy, to make sad, to render ineffective, fill you full of guilt, depress, oppress, obsess, all kinds of things like that. This is the work of the devil, to create discord and hatred and ill will and strife and murder and crime and anger. That's the kind of people that the devil's working in. That's what he does. And were it not for God, we would be like that. And if we're still like that, it means that there's something limited in our life keeping the Lord from having his freedom, or we're limiting the Lord ourselves. And so it's a study of deliverance. It's not only a study of what has been done legally, For you in the Bible, what the Bible declares has been done, but it's also to teach you how to apply that deliverance to your life so that you're no longer as you were, but you begin to walk in newness of life as the Bible promises that you can. Now, last week, we began talking about the demonic kingdom or the kingdom of darkness, and we found that the head of that kingdom is Satan. 
We all know that, the devil, he's called. Jesus called him the prince of the power of the air. The spirit, Paul wrote, said that works in the children of disobedience in Ephesians 2, that he is the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. He is described as the dark power that rules in the kingdom of men, that the whole world lies in darkness. Now we're in this world, but Jesus said we are lights in this world, and our light should be shining. But the antithesis to light is darkness, and that's the kind of kingdom that the devil has to keep us in dark. I mentioned last week there's one word, and I'll probably use it several times, one word that describes a whole lot of what the devil does in the church is obscurity. Obscurity. To keep us in the dark, unsure, shaded in some way about truth so that we never get it. We never quite get it. And after a series of generations of parents and grandparents and handed down to us, all that God has for us is just religious talk. It seldom works for anybody. There's not a lot of interest in it. The preachers, a lot of them come out of seminary, trained how to say what people want to know because of psychology. And consequently, the church goes to sleep. And it's when you're asleep that the devil does his work, and we get used to it. And we need deliverance from that because deliverance has been provided in all of those things. Now, we found this last week about the kingdom of darkness. In Ephesians 1, if you don't mind, would you just briefly look in Ephesians 1, verse 21, and then Ephesians 6 and verse 12. It's an organized kingdom. There are two kingdoms in this world, the one that is visible and the one that is invisible. We live in a visible kingdom. There's also another realm that we can't see into. Now, you're able to see into that other realm when a gift of the Spirit operates. It's called the discerning of spirits. Some people call it the gift of suspicion. But it's really, it's the enabling of the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see into the spirit world. You can see angels. People see angels a lot. You can see demons. Some have seen that. But that's when that spirit operates. You actually can see at least a portion of the other world. But if that doesn't work, you live in a visible world. We only know this realm. We only know the, I can see you, you can see me and, and what's around me, and that's the visible world. But Bible teaches us there is another world, another realm. It's the realm of the invisible. Like where two or more gathered together, Jesus would be in the midst of us. And when the churches gathered together, Jesus said there would be angels there. Hebrews 1 describes angels as ministering spirits. Talks about little children, that their angels do always behold their face before God. So there are things out there we can't see, but we must believe. And some of those things in that dark world out there, especially in the invisible realm of the darkness of this world, you need to know something about that. It's not a pleasure study. This is not a fun study, but it's necessary. If we're not going to be snared by the devil, then we need to be aware of his devices and how he operates. What are his methods? That's what devices means, his methods, his clever ways. How does he snare people? And if we get through this tonight, well, next week we'll see how he comes into people, how the devil actually enters into people, or how he manifests himself through people, because he does. You see it all the time. People don't realize it, but... He's doing it. In Ephesians 1 and verse 21, there are four realms here mentioned. In Ephesians 1, there are principality, there are powers, there are might, and there are dominions. That's one of the ways the Bible tells us about the kingdom of darkness. It is organized kingdom. Satan is the head of it. There are spirits under him. They're called evil spirits. And they do the work in this dark kingdom. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, We wrestle, not with the visible world, though we are in it, not with flesh and blood, but against these principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, the Bible said that's who we wrestle with. I know a lot of people know this, but there's a whole church world out there that leaves this type of thing alone 
for the obvious reason. There's a spirit that doesn't want you to talk about this. The devil doesn't want you to know who he is. He wants you to blame God for all the troubles that come in the world. They want people to get mad at God and quit God. Well, if that's the way God's going to do it, I'm going to quit. He wants you to do that. Like the girl who called me one time, and a very tragic event had happened in her life, and a boyfriend she was going to marry had died in a car wreck. And she said, why would God do this? And I said, the problem's not God, it's the thief who comes to kill and to steal and destroy. We walk around with our heads turned from God. We walk around like we're blindfolded. We give God no credit. We give him no time. We have no attention for God. We open ourselves up to darkness, and one day tragedy comes, and then we blame God for it. But that's what the devil does, and he wants you to blame God. He wants you to think that you always qualify for good things even though you don't live right. And, of course, God comes to tell us that there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but at the ways of our death that his ways are not easy ways, that what the Christian has before him as a way of life, it's not a simple walk as evidenced by so few finish this course. And when you begin to expose the darkness of this world and you begin to show people how the devil works and how he has done his work, and you get your eyes opened, it makes you very serious to know that there is somebody after you there is somebody who wants to stop you. There is somebody who wants to destroy your life. And these are those spirits of the darkness of this world in Ephesians six twelve. there. The rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness, principalities, and powers. That's who we fight. That's who's behind things. Wars, death, murder, killings, stealing, lying, cheating, hatred, variance, and strife. Gossip. The devil is behind all of this, constantly stirring up who he can. Christians, if they're overcoming, getting their eyes open and they can see, well, that's just the devil. I'm not going to do that. That's just the devil. Well, I'm not going to repeat that. I'm not going to feel like that about them. That's just the devil. And the more you start taking a stand like that, the less the devil can either use you or control you. And you get the victory over him. Doesn't the Bible say that God leads us daily in his triumph? 2 Corinthians 2, he leads us daily in his triumph in Christ Jesus, if we follow. But we have to fight, we have to war, and we have to do that now in this world. I looked last week at Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, as the two chapters in the Bible where most scholars see the origins of the devil. He was not created as a devil, he was created as an angel a beautiful angel, a high place in heaven in the created order at that time, and he fell from that place, and he was thrown to the earth. Remember in Luke chapter 8, Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven, because he was on the earth when Adam was created. He was here. He was a serpent, but he was here. It didn't say he was crawling on his belly. He was made to do that. It said, after sin. So what he looked like, we don't know. But he was somebody that was enticing, very subtle, very clever, able to touch the conscience of people. Hath God said? Surely he didn't mean that, did he? Come on. He was able to appeal to logic and reason, knowing that most people would rather follow that than Scripture. And he knew that. So he was that from the beginning. But where did demons come from? Let me give you one place where I think it tells us where they came from. It's probably one of the most important chapters, chapter 12 of Revelation. I think this is where evil spirits are said to come from or how they got here along with the devil. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out. Now Jesus said, I saw him fall from heaven. Those two chapters, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, talks about him being cast out. Well, it says, and the great dragon was cast out. It doesn't mean at this time, but it just means that he was cast out. The great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Isn't that something? He was cast out into the earth and what else? His angels were cast out with him. 
And he apparently had persuaded a number of angels, angelic beings, to follow him in his rebellion. In verse 4, it says, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Well, you know, I've never seen stars around. The, I know they, in Hollywood has them, but I've never seen stars around places. Have you? I think stars here is a picture of his shining ones in their first estate. And they were cast to the earth along with him because it said his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven did cast him to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman and so on and so forth. So I believe that's where the spirits, evil spirits came from. Again, their mission in this world as Satan's underlings is to kill and to steal and destroy. The Bible has a lot to say about this. And the more we talk about it, the more you can see it yourself in so many ways that these manifestations of demonic work takes place so much. There are many categories of demons. That is, there are demons that have specific things that they do. There are demons who do nothing more than put thoughts in your mind. There are demons that do nothing more than arouse lust. That's all they do. But they're busy. Because like a roaring lion, they walk around too looking for that person having a bad day, that person who's about to give up and quit, that person who says, I'm not doing good spiritually, but not trying to do better either. They're looking for a person like that to make that situation get worse until you finally say, what's the use? There's demons that do just that. Now, we would never say a devil did that, but that's what they do to get you to fall away and give up and quit, throw in the towel, just walk off. I want to give you some of these categories tonight and look at some of the biblical manifestations of these different spirits. First one I want to look at tonight is what the Bible calls unclean spirits unclean spirits. Now, the word is used several times in the New Testament, unclean spirits and the old. Now, we know that unclean can just refer to being dirty. You can be dirty. There are people who are just dirty. They have water and they have soap, but they don't know it. But listen to me. I'm serious. They don't take care of their body. They don't bathe. They don't really care what they smell like or look like. They're nasty. And I don't mean that in a rude, real crude sense, but bad enough. There are people who just are unkempt and unclean. You can look at their life. You can look at their body. If you're around them, you know that some people need to take a bath. There are people who have unclean spirits simply by the virtue of the fact that they're not clean. They're just dirty people. They smell bad. They look bad. You look at their homes. Their homes are not clean. You see in the yard of a lot of people, they're just nasty. There's a spirit behind that. Now, you don't see everybody's home like that, but there are people who give in to this thing. I think they're lazy. I don't think they try. I don't think they even care what the world thinks of us. You know, in a sense, we, none of us care what the world thinks, but at the same time, we need to have a good report. That's part of our testimony, that as Christians, God has made a change in our life. Well, how about alcoholism? How about drugs? What do drugs and alcohol do eventually to people? They make them unclean. They make them live for one thing to get drunk or to get high. I've seen them in Louisville, down on Nanny Goat Trot Alley. I like that, Nanny Goat Trot Alley. There's another alley just on the next block called Billy Goat Trot Alley. We'll take a tour someday. We'll rent a bus and go down there someday and I'll show it to you. But I've seen lots and lots of winos on that street. I've seen those that have been drunk and wet their pants and get up the next day, they just dry out and go on and live. And they smell bad and they stink, but they don't care because there's a demon behind all that stuff. Not only the alcohol, but your physical appearance. And thus that damages your health. The spirit of infirmity comes with all of this. And these people never do well. How about spiritual uncleanness? Spiritual uncleanness in the church. 
That would refer to anything and all things impure, immoral, or defiled. Spiritual uncleanness. It's used quite a bit in Scripture. Anything that promotes uncleanness, anything that fosters uncleanness, is demonic. I got a fax about a survey amongst pastors. And they found in this survey, I don't know why they answered like this, but they did, that they surveyed all these ministers, and they found that 50% of them watch a porn channel every month, regularly watch porn. Now, while you can walk in a pulpit, having watched the whole movie, you don't go, uh, you don't just jerk your clothes off and go crazy. But there is a spirit that begins to work. Remember, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's very subtle, and he's very clever. And when you've got a spirit of uncleanness about you, something gets defiled in the way you live, the way you talk, the way you act, and the things that you do. Your mind goes to the gutter, even though you preach. I remember there was a preacher out in another state in America who had a big church, a large church, and he preached against all kinds of uncleanness and impurities and homosexuality and all of that. And one day he was caught because he would travel to this other city in that state and visit this homosexual once every month, I guess it was, or once every so often. And he would preach on the radio against it. Well, the guy that the homosexual heard him preaching on it and exposed him. All the time he's preaching about sin and, and bringing salvation, people coming forward and getting saved. This man had a spirit in him. He was defiled. Now, nobody would ever want to say that because, well, listen to what he's saying. Well, I hear what he's saying. But I also know that there's a dark life on the other side, that he's not living the way he's supposed to. He's not doing what he's supposed to do, and he is unclean. Probably helped along by the TV. They say the computer is more nasty than the TV ever was, that you can go on websites now and see whatever you want to see. You can sit there all day long and watch that stuff. I wonder how many people do it in the middle of the night. I wonder how many young folks would never watch it during the day. I wonder how many of them turn that thing on at night and everybody's gone to bed or got one in your room, shut the door, lock the door, and watch that stuff. It happens all the time. You have an unclean spirit when you talk dirty, when you text message back and forth and there's sexual innuendos in there. That's uncleanness. These things defile you. You may not look defiled, but your religious, spiritual life eventually will decline. Your testimony will decline, and one day you'll get caught because your sin will find you out. And the way of a transgressor, the Bible says, is hard. You need to make up your minds that you want to live right, that I want to live clean, and I want to live a pure life. I know I'm not perfect, but you've got to say, I want to live the kind of life God wants me to live. And away with these sensual books about romantic encounters that describe all the sensual passion of such an encounter. And a lot of people read little booklets and books about this stuff, and it stirs you up. And you know it does, because you begin to imagine things in your mind. This is the work of the devil. This is the way the spirit comes. This is an unclean spirit. You may not have one, but you're being introduced to one. And it stirs you, makes you think about that during the day. Had a friend of mine that just one day working on his computer hit the wrong www, and a porn site popped right on his screen. He oh, he called his wife. Said, come here, come here, come here. Instead of shutting the door and putting someone in the door and look, he called his wife because he, he wanted to be accountable. He didn't want her to walk in there and him look at that. He said, I just hit the button and this is what came on. I want you to know I'm not watching this. And she saw. She said, oh, Get that off of there. And he said, I am. I'm going to get it off. I just wanted you to know that I wasn't trying to look at this. I'm just being accountable. That is a way to combat the devil. Because you could sit there and say, well, what have I done here? My goodness gracious. What the, what did I, wow, what the, what all did I, what, the, what kind of numbers, what W, what was that W there I hit? Nope. Because the devil's a very enticing, he knows a man's weakness. 
He knows what men usually or generally are weak at. And he knows that those kind of things, the pictures in the book racks, the little stories. Now you got all these TV programs and all this stuff that promote all of this. I think some of you young folks, and you've seen all these scenes in the movies and TV, all this hugging and kissing and rolling around between unmarried people. It's almost never with married people. A lot of kids think that's what's normal. There's a spirit behind it. And you keep giving in to it, you get the spirit as a package deal in your life. It shows up in your marriages. And when you suddenly lose interest in each other. So much promiscuity today, boys and girls running around and I don't know what's going to happen when they get old enough that you ought to be sitting in your life with a good woman and a good man and enjoying life together. No excitement anymore. The devil is ruining everything. Now, you can tell people that, and they, oh, that's just your opinion. Well, it might be the truth also. But there are all these vulgar words and vulgar talk. I've read text messages from kids that were doing this. I mean, a father showed me a text message once that he had intercepted. And I grew up in a pool hall, and I, I grew up running streets. But, boy, your generation is way quicker than mine was. Whoa. That's just as nasty stuff as I've ever heard. I mean, these kids go to church. They go to church just like you all do. And that's what's inside of them. These are unclean spirits. How about clothes? You think clothes can have an uncleanness about them? Any kind of garment that's designed to expose your body has behind it the design of an unclean spirit whether it's to show your bosom or to show your legs or whatever it is, you've got to realize as a Christian, this is not what God would choose for you. And I know I've said a lot of things about these tight pants and everything. And people say, what's wrong with pants? You know, really, really, really true. What's wrong with dress? I mean, is there something, is there a plague that goes with a dress or a skirt? I mean, do you get a plague? Do you get some kind of a scab or an itch or something if you wear a dress? Do you come down with some loathsome disorder if you wear a dress? People keep saying, well, what's wrong with pants? What's wrong with dresses? <clears throat> what's wrong with dresses? <laughs> I'm just saying that there are clothes that the power of darkness, I believe, has designed. Sensual clothes. Clothes that cause people to think sexual thoughts. Say what you want to about it. Clothing that excites passions, that makes you think adulterous thoughts. Oh, you're getting attention, all right, but your attention is prompted by a spirit, by an evil spirit, by an unclean spirit. I think dating can lead to an unclean spirit, obviously, because your dating is experimentation. I don't know that Christians should even date, period. Just wait till it's time to get married when Mr. Wright or Sister Wright comes along and you decide this is it and you're it and I'm her. Then you sit down and talk over coffee and then decide to get married and then you get married. <laughs> That's the way I did it. <laughs> not really. <laughs> No, that's not quite the way I did it. But I do know the right way to do it. I do know that. I know that when you start holding hands, you start touching, you start holding. When you start holding, you start doing things, ways you shouldn't do it. You're opening up a door to a mistake. And any kind of contact between two unmarried people that leads to excitement of passions and suggestions and sex is sponsored, fostered, and promoted by an unclean spirit. And uncleanness does come into your life. And it does do all the things that it shouldn't do, but it does. All perversions, all kinds of perversions, especially homosexuality, a perversion of nature, of a natural way that God intended for things to be, the perversion of that is by an unclean spirit. Turn to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1 and beginning in verse 24, we're butting into a thought. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. 
Now, whatever was going on was unclean. People liked it. They enjoyed uncleanness. It felt good. It stirred them up good. They enjoyed it. They didn't want to give it up. Listen, God gave them up to it. Now, that's a danger zone right there, unless that's the point of no return. And God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie. We had a president do that. And worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even the women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature. And likewise the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir which was meat. And they did not like to retain God in their knowledge and so forth. Very clearly in just one verse of scripture here, God condemns homosexuality of things that are unnatural. Men doing things with men that are against nature. Women doing things with women that are against nature. Then what if heterosexuals do the same thing? Is that unnatural? Now, see, we don't like that so much because this world is full of unclean sex. We condemn homosexuals, men with men doing things, women with women doing things. But in marriage, you think you can do the same thing they're doing with each other heterosexually. Who said it was all right? It's not natural. See, I'm limited as what I can say. I'll try to be very, very careful here because I know that you have to explain all this to your children when you get home. But you have to realize that the way God made us and the way we exist in this world, especially when it comes to loving your mate and passion, the whole design of this is not only to fulfill your love for your wife or your husband, but also to create children. And there's some things that you do that you don't create children. It's another thing. It's come into this world from other sources, and people do it all the time, and they think it's all right. Again, we had a president who said on national television that he did not have sex with a woman because what he did wasn't considered sex, and that seemed to have opened the door to a whole generation of kids who think that's okay. And it is nasty. It's unclean. You're welcome. Amen. Would you look in Colossians 3 and verse 5? Trust me, I could say more, but I'm going to hold it off. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Mortify, put to death your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. Uncleanness. Inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Isn't it interesting that uncleanness is connected also here with covetousness? Inordinate affection is a word for unnatural desires. Evil concupiscence is a word very similar to that. It's evil passions. People wanting to get into a realm, they just want to keep going and going and going until there's nothing left. I'm disturbed by a lot of things that I hear from people who know much more about these things than I do about what's going on today with our young people and parties and things that they do. But you just need to be warned that there is a realm in your life, especially the most sensual part of your nature, that the devil, if you're not careful can take you across the boundaries of that. And it's not okay, and it's not good. And that you need to be careful, and you need to realize that there is somebody stalking your life who wants to get you in a place where you're in trouble spiritually. And uncleanness will do that to you. The word uncleanness is connected with greed. It's connected with hypocrites. It's connected with... Things, as he said in 2 Peter 2, 10, them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness. He says about them, they despise government. Presumptuous are they. Self-willed are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Uncleanness. Not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Well, that's a conservative talk show. 
I said, that's a conservative talk show, not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Anytime you can get on the national news and speak evil of the president or the leaders of your country as though they're a bunch of dogs, you're wrong. You can't pray for somebody that you think's a dog. Turn over there, Second Peter. Chapter 2 and verse 10. But chiefly, these are the ungodly who reserve to the day of judgment, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. And it's clear from there that unclean living has to do with lust of the flesh. And he said, them that despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. We should be because we should pray for the leaders of our people and speak not evil against them. I don't care who they are, what they've done, or what you think of them, or what the latest conservative talk show says about them. You don't need to listen to that stuff anyway. We're Christians. We're not politicians. We're not political activists. I'm not. Are you? I don't want to hear it. I quit listening to it. Every now and then there's something new on the news, and they talk about something. I want to hear what their, what they call their spin is. See, I'm pretty up to date. I use the word spin. See what their take is on something. But I don't need to hear all of that stuff. The latest finding of the latest rumors and all of that stuff about the leaders of our country. These are people that we pray for. But there's something defiled and unclean about that kind of person. Something's not right there. Something's wrong. Or how about an unclean spirit in the Gadarene demoniac? Remember him? Jesus went to the place called Gadara. And there met him a man out of the tombs in Mark 5 and Luke 8. This man came out of the tombs and he was fierce. And he had an unclean spirit. All these things about him were behind the front of this unclean spirit. This unclean spirit was a main spirit in this man. And they had bound him with fetters and with chains. And he had broken them. The Bible said he had a devil this unclean spirit. And when Jesus came, and you know, this is a wonderful thought, even with the man who was possessed, as I said last week, possession usually implies your inability to function in society. You're almost totally controlled by demonic things. You see them in insane asylums, people that can't function, that can't clean themselves up, they can't do anything. They have to be watched all the time or they're very violent like this gathering demoniac was. He was fierce, he was scared of him. But when Jesus came, it was his moment. There's something about the way grace can reach through the darkest of a mind. The worst kind of a life. When Jesus appears and the grace of God appears to that needy person, they can come. And this gathering demoniac came to Christ. And Jesus cast out of him, what, 2,000 demons? There were 2,000 pigs. And the demons said, don't send us to that place, because they knew he could. They said, can we go in the pigs? Well, Jesus had no love for swine anyway in the Old Testament, so he said, go. So off they went into the pigs. And over the hill they went, and they were destroyed, which tells you this, that the devil's goal is to kill, to steal, and destroy. And that man was set in his right mind, and he was made right. How about children? Can children have an unclean spirit? I've read some disturbing things about child molestation, about the numbers of people that were molested or abused as children by their mothers, their fathers, uncles, neighbors, usually somebody within the family. I'm talking about sexual abuse, really serious abuse. And a lot of these kids grow up, and the spirit that they picked up through all of this follows them into their life, and they do things that they shouldn't do, do things they don't want to do. I remember one young lady once that I knew of in another state. She was abused by her father uh, terribly. I mean, just the kind of thing you shake your head and say, man, they ought to do something about that. Well, this man abused this girl for several years until she was grown. Then it was all exposed. And then he was 
locked up and then she couldn't stay in a relationship. And then she became one of those who just wanted to be with a lot of different men. There's a spirit behind all of this. It's a destructive killing thing. It was given to her by her daddy. That's how bad this age has gotten, this world is. But there's a lot of people in the church that were abused. I talked to some of you through the years about how a member of the family abused you and how that abuse has led to certain characteristics, and hopefully you'll learn what they are and deal with them. The characteristics that came into your life that were causing you trouble came from that moment, that unclean spirit, inability to maintain a relationship to a lot of things. There's so many different spirits out there that you can't just pick out one or two. There's all kinds of them, but some of them just keep you from being able to keep a job. Some spirits make you fall asleep during a church service. I mean, you slept all night, Saturday night, come to church Sunday morning, fall asleep. That's a spirit. I'm not saying it's an unclean spirit, but I'm not saying it's not either. There was a man in the church in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus preached in the church. And while he was preaching, this unclean spirit cried out, We know thee who thou art. Thou art the Son of God. Hast thou come to destroy us before the time? They knew who he was. And Jesus said, hold thy peace and come out of him. But it was an unclean spirit. All it did was speak out in the church, but it was an unclean for a reason. It doesn't tell us. But there's a lot of ways that this kind of a spirit can work in people and, and ruin people's lives and hurt people. Turn to Mark 7, verse 25. You remember the Syrophoenician woman? Well, if you don't, let me tell you who she was. The woman was a Greek Verse 25, she said her, her young daughter had what? An unclean spirit. Where did it come from? Well, that's an, another message. There's lots of ways spirits come. Sometimes through the family tree. Sometimes through a movie. Maybe a Ouija board. Perhaps video games teach violence. Because you get involved in that stuff, and the next thing you know, if you're sitting here and you do that a lot, you easily distracted during a church service. You can't keep your mind on what's being said. You can't remember what you heard because that's what that spirit has done to you. He's distracted you. It's fun to play video, but it's very tedious to listen to things that'll set you free. That's the devil. That's the devil. But it said in verse 25, her daughter had an unclean spirit. It doesn't say what it did or how it got there. It just said that it was an unclean spirit. How about Spirits of infirmity. Is the devil behind sickness? Well, now you have to be careful here because a lot of people don't know how to deal with this. Is the devil behind all sickness, either directly or indirectly? Remember all them people that came to Jesus and said he healed every one of them. Some were lunatic. Some were just infirm. Some were blind and deaf and dumb and crippled. The Bible said he healed every one of them. Now, if any of them had something that God put on them, then as Jesus said, it would be Jesus fighting against God, casting God off of people if any of their diseases were caused by the Lord. They're all demonic. How about a headache or a fever? Remember Jesus rebuked the fever? And it left her. The fever was an it. It was a something. Jesus just simply laid hands on her. He rebuked the fever and it left. Because the fever was not natural, was it? It was a devil. We learned to put up with it. Let me tell you something. Drugs don't deliver you from anything. Drugs only hide symptoms. All they do is suppress symptoms. Don't remove the problem. You just suppress symptoms. And most people just want to live without the pain or whatever anyway. They don't really want to get rid of what the problem is. You say, well, how does an operation, you can't cut the devil out of a person. Well, you can. If the devil's operation is in some part of your body and you cut that part out, then whatever that one particular spirit was doing in that one particular part of the body is not there anymore. You cut the thing out, that spirit goes somewhere else. It's an engaging world. It's a very interesting world, but it's a very dark world also. But infirm spirits. In Luke 13, 11, it says this. There was in the synagogue 
a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. Could we say this, that a bowed back is a spirit of infirmity? Is that right? Well, let me ask you this. Could a Christian, a sincere Christian, not knowing the facts, could a Christian have a bowed back? Well, of course they could. So if somebody says, could a Christian have a demon? Well, of course they could. Obviously. If you receive a different gospel, you can get another spirit. 2 Corinthians 11. But it says here, she had the spirit of infirmity 18 years and could in no wise lift herself up. And Jesus said in Luke 13 and verse 16, should not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan hath bound low these how many years? 18 years. 18 years she had been bound by the devil himself. Said, should not she be loosed on the Sabbath day? Or how about in John chapter 5, there was a man by the, where the waters were being stirred. Remember that? And Jesus came by and he was waiting till the water stirred so he could climb into the water and be healed. 38 years. And he was waiting for some stirring of the water. And Jesus came by and healed him. Healed him. He had spirit all those years. How about in Acts chapter 14 and verse 8, there was a man in there who was, had an infirmity. He had never walked. Never walked. Who was behind his crippled condition? The devil. The spirit. If you told people today, well, the devil did that, they'll laugh you to scorn. I think a national speaker, I think Pat Robertson or something said something about Haiti and a curse that's on that island. You'd have to live in a box to know there's not a curse down there. But people don't want you to say that because the dark spirit of this age doesn't want that to be known that he's doing it. And the powers that be will laugh you to scorn when you tell the truth like that. They don't want you to tell everybody that. How about all of those deaf and dumb spirits, lunatic spirits that they brought to Jesus? Did they have a spirit of infirmity? Of course they did. They all did. And he cast them all out and he healed all those people that were sick. How about violence? Is violence caused by a spirit? Turn to Acts 19. You'll like this. You've heard it before. I'm sure you have. But Acts chapter 19 and verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said to him, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? That's another study about you need to know what you believe and what you're standing on when you start dealing with the devil. Because the demon inside the man said, Jesus I know and Paul I'm acquainted with. He's still alive. I'm not done with him. I know who he is. But who are you? And then it says this. This is the nature of the devil also. And then it said that spirit that was in that man began to do something. Verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's still true today, isn't it? What about terrorists? Isn't that a form of hatred and ill will fostered by the devil? All of it is. All crime is. Anything that wants to take another person's life and destroy somebody else whether it's a gang warfare, terrorism, or just revenge against somebody that hurt you once and how the devil keeps fostering that and bringing that to your mind and wants you to get even. It's the devil. It's poison. But it's one of the things the devil does. These are spirits. This is who we're fighting against. You got to recognize it. You see it all the time. Fear. Is fear the devil? God did not give us the spirit of fear. 2 Corinthians 1, 7. But a lot of people do have fear. They're afraid they will fail. They're afraid of what people think. They're afraid they're going to do the wrong things. They're afraid this message won't work. And therefore, they give in to a spirit of doubt and unbelief. God never gave us that. 
God gave us freedom and deliverance. But we're so afraid of so many things. How about the corruption of doctrine? How about doctrinal corruption? Is that the devil? Of course it is. You know that. Doesn't the Bible speak of seducing spirits? In the latter days, in the last time, many shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of demons. Or in Ephesians 4, he spoke of all kinds of winds of doctrine that cunning men are lying in wait to spring on you. There are people out there just waiting for some naive Christian come by who goes by how they feel to introduce that person to the latest thing going on, a deception. It has gotten so bad in this age of the circus church that you have all these newfangled things coming into the church that people are calling the Lord. Hilarious laughter. I mean, just uncontrollable laughter and jerking. I saw a video once of a meeting down in Florida, where a great outpouring on Father's Day supposedly took off. And these people would come up and they would start doing all these gyrations and going through all that stuff. And it got somewhat bizarre. For another place up in Canada, similar things happening there, but they begin to bark and growl. It got so bad that one lady who was barking, it was prophesied by somebody else this is the spirit of the watchman. Dumb dogs don't bark, but this is the watchman. And in this hour, God is releasing his watchman. And this is what dogs do. They bark. And people would just get real spiritual. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. That's really something. Well, I got a fax the other day. It was about the kundalini spirit. Now, I'm not much into all that stuff, but this was interesting. Because the kundalini experience... It was reported by this. Now, this is somebody else's findings, and I stand to be corrected. This is not what I have researched, what was passed on to me. If it's right, listen. If it's not, let it go. But the kundalini spirit, these mystic Hindu gurus, they have these meetings, these special meetings that they get together. These meetings were called a darshan. And in these darshan meetings, they would have their devotees come up and they would give them the Shakti pat, a little pat on the head. It was called the divine touch. And after this divine touch takes place, these people begin to experience the Kundalini Shakti or the Kundalini experience. And they begin to jerk, just like you saw in America in the charismatic church in one of the arenas, circus arenas that we have in this hour. And they'd call these things of God, just jerking and laughing and growling. I saw one video. I saw this in the front of the big church. They have all these nice big room up in front of the church. And this one guy had his belt around this other guy's neck, and he was crawling across the stage barking like a dog. He was a watchman. Can you imagine if I had a noose around Caleb's neck here? <laughs> Caleb was in the spirit, of course. And Caleb going rrr, 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 across there. Now, we laugh, but they weren't laughing. For they were all, this is God. And they were just jerking and laughing and screaming and yelling. I don't guess it was a preaching church. I don't know how you would talk over that. Could it be that this ancient kundalini occult spirit has crept into the church and people in mingling with and not being discerning about what they believe or who they're with, have just allowed things to come into their life and given the right time, this thing springs forth. I remember one of the men that promoted this thing. He had tattoos on this side, around here. He went down this side. Nobody dresses up anymore, even puts a tie on because I guess that's too clean. Excuse me. This got this shabby look. You know, we're coming before God because we're cool. And you just wear what you've been wearing out in the field all day. I guess it didn't matter. But the priest came before the Lord like that, they'd fall dead. And here's a man while he is touching people and they're falling down. And all these wonderful healings they're talking about and just dramatic. While all of this is going on, this man is having an adulterous affair with another woman. Then he gets caught. Oh, 
divorces his wife, marries the other woman. And I just got a fax last week that he's now in somewhere in North Carolina and they're starting all over again. Has anybody any discernment whatsoever? Do you know what goes with this package? Do you not realize that people can come into your life as an angel? Not a good angel. I'm talking about a bad one. What do they call them? They turned into what? An angel of what? Of light? Oh, but he preaches Jesus. Of course he does. You wouldn't sit there if he didn't. I don't care what he preaches. It's what happens when he puts that hand on your head and he transfers to you whatever is operating in him. And I remember a man who's been so critical of things in the past went down there with his son on a special night back when they were in this other church in Lakeland, Florida and took his son down there and had you let this man lay hands on you. This man laid hands on his son so he could be great. And then they found out all this other stuff. And I think, are you going to renounce that? Are you going to rebuke that? Are you going to hold on to the fact that this man's a man of God because you're too embarrassed because you threw in with him and now he's proven to be not right? I'll tell you, folks, these are the last days. I keep saying it and I'll keep saying it. I keep saying it until it's over. That you better be careful in the last days. This is an age unlike any age ever. Ever, ever, ever. These are the last days when the worst of the worst comes out. When the enemy who knows he has but a short time is loosed on this earth to destroy, maim, and disrupt everything he can. To ruin your life while you're young. To ruin your marriages. To ruin everything about you. If he can. And he will if he can. And we have to be careful and cautious and so forth. What about Job? What happened to Job? Who killed his children? Who took away all of his income and his everything he owned and destroyed everything? The devil. Who put discord between him and his wife so that she was yapping at, at him? Who did that? The devil. It's the work of the devil. These are what demons do. This is who you're dealing with and this is what they do. How about lying spirits? Is there such a thing as a lying spirit? Do spirits lie? 1 Kings 22, verses 23 and 24. In 1 Kings, Ahab is destined to die. The last chapter of 1 Kings. Ahab is a marked man. He's a wicked, ruthless man. Evil. And his time is up. Verse 20. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said on this manner, another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. Do you hear what he's saying here? A spirit said, I will persuade him. Now the Lord said, how will you persuade him? He said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, thou shalt persuade him and shall prevail also. Go forth and do so. Who sent him? The Lord. The Lord didn't do the work. The Lord just allowed this to happen. And they went into Ahab's prophets. And Ahab inquired of his prophets, as all the kings would, before they went out to battle, shall I go up to Ramoth Gilead? And they said, go, you shall prevail. And Jehoshaphat, who had no business being with this man, had no business being with this man, he said, you got any godly prophets around here? You got anybody that believes in God? Ahab said, well, I've got one. I don't like him. Because he never says good stuff. He'd never make it in America either. He never says good things. So he said, well, go get him. I want to hear what he has to say. So they brought Micaiah up. He said this in verse 23. He said, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets. And the Lord has spoken evil concerning you. Ahab said, take him back. Put him in jail and give him the bread and water of affliction. And I'll deal with him when I get back. The prophet said, if you even come back, the Lord has not spoken through me. 
Ahab went out to battle, dressed himself in a regular gear, said, Jehoshaphat, you dress up like the king. And Jehoshaphat, okay, okay. And Jehoshaphat did. And somebody just put an arrow in the bow and just let, let an arrow fly. And it went between his armor. And he died. He died in his chariot. And the dogs licked his blood, just like Jezebel. You see, a lying spirit is a spirit that convinces you to do that which God does not want you to do, says that which is not of God, whether you're lying to your parents, you're lying to your boss, you lie to your wife, your husband, you lie to anybody, it's the devil. What if I said every time you lie, you gave in to the devil? You were prompted by a spirit to lie. I think all of us as fathers have told our children, hopefully we have, I know you're not a perfect child, I'm not a perfect dad or perfect mom. But one thing I will not do to you, I will not lie to you, don't you ever lie to me. We'll always have a good relationship if we don't lie because that keeps the devil out of this. But if you lie, I can't trust you. If I lie to you, you won't trust me. We can't lie. If you're wrong, you're wrong. The important thing is for you to make a decision to live in the truth and live your life honestly, to say what you believe, to stand on what you're sure of. And don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, not on your income taxes, not at school, not anywhere. Because every time you do, you not only sin, but you open the door to an evil spirit. That's why sometimes people don't sleep well. That's why they're always broke. Spirit of poverty comes because that's the spirit too. Job had it for a little while. Folks, there's all kinds of different spirits. You get them in the church. You got seducing spirits, doctrines of demons. You got false prophets, false teachers. You got all these kind of things that happen in the church just like in the world. You got divisions, you got people in the church that are causing division. There's gossip and there's rumors and there's a pointing of the finger and there's accusation, there's splits and, and all of this. All of that's of the devil. I'm gonna close with James chapter three, verse 14. James chapter three. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, in your hearts now, how you really feel on the inside, Glory not, nor lie against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and what? Devilish. It is demonic. Do you realize this, that if you have envying and strife and bitter feelings in your heart about anybody, you're lying against the truth, what you say you represent? I am of the truth, and yet in denial of the truth, you lie by the way you live and the way you act. He said, wisdom that comes from the devil is verse 16, envying and strife. There is confusion and every evil work. Gossip is a part of this. You hear me? Be careful when you get on your my space, their space, Facebook space, when you start talking about other people or you start ranting and raving about this one, even your government, be careful that this divisive spirit hasn't been picked up somewhere along the way and it's operating through you. We have to be clean. You want to be clean? Just obey the Lord. Make up your mind. Get up in the morning and say, today in the name of Jesus, I want to be quickened and prompted all day long about what's right. I want to do what is right. And if I'm wrong, may I have the courage to admit I'm wrong and accept deliverance from the Lord for wrong. If I've been involved in gossip and if I've hurt anybody, give me the grace and the courage to go to that person and repent and tell them I'm sorry so I can get my life clean. I want to be delivered from this. Because if I don't and you keep letting this thing hang around, eventually it takes residence in your life. And things can happen then that you'll never blame the devil for and you'll never get delivered from. You take it all the way to the grave. I've seen it my whole life. A lot of people who could be set free, should have been set free, don't get set free because they no longer can recognize that the devil's behind this. 
all this talking and you kids game playing and fooling with violence, all of this kill that guy and killing this one and killing that one, that's a bad spirit. I know you pay a lot for those kind of games, but you wasted your money as far as spiritual things are concerned. Amen. Well, there's a lot more to say here, and I'm obviously not done with this. I'll continue on with it next week because we didn't even touch on the occult. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, open our eyes to see what you're saying, what we should see, what we should understand, what we should prepare for, to fight against. Make us to know, Lord, what's going on. Grant us discernment. Give us the courage to make right decisions, to admit things that will bring right into our lives. I ask you in the name of Jesus to show us what we need to see that we might be forever free from any kind of demonic invasion in our lives or our homes. In Jesus' name, amen.